Earlier this week, the archives of the late, great Irish actor Richard Harris were donated to University College Cork, home to one of Ireland's leading film schools. UCC Library and the Richard Harris Estate, well, they've collaborated to house a collection of letters, photographs, literary works, artefacts and professional and personal documents which belong to the late actor. His son, Jared Harris, who is a much admired and award-winning actor from hits such as Mad Men, The Expanse, The Crown and Chernobyl, launched the archives this week from the Richard Harris Suite at the Savoy Hotel in London. And Jared joins me now. Good morning, Jared Harris. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Marianne. Thank you for having me on. Delighted. And I'm conscious, of course, that this Tuesday marked the 20th anniversary of your dad's death. But look, he seems to have kept so much. It seems to be a remarkable collection of 50 years and more thoughts, writing memorabilia. Yeah, it's, a, it's really a collection um, that records a professional life and a personal life. And um, there is a, a, an enormous amount of material in it. There's hundreds and hundreds of photographs, um, personal set photographs, behind-the-scenes photographs, publicity photographs from the various projects he was on. Um, some things that there is no longer a record of, like the very first plays that he did, television plays that he did here in London, um, there is no tape recording of it because they were live. So there's photographs from that. There are letters to his parents. Um, uh, There are letters, um, telegrams from his parents on the opening night original manuscripts of things that he wrote that haven't been produced, poems, hundreds of poems, um, his acting copy scripts of, of uh, various parts that he did with all his notes in it. Um, it just a lot of, obviously all of his awards and the crown from Camelot and stuff like that. Just an enormous amount of wonderful, wonderful treasures. Was it emotional for you and your brothers, Jared, to go through? I gather all of this was, you know, a lot of it was in a lockup in Oxford. Was it emotional to actually go through a lot of it? Yes. I mean, obviously, it wasn't all in the lockup originally. It was in the house in the Bahamas' suite and uh, the Savoy Hotel and another property here in London. And we gathered it all into one place. And um, at that point, went through it all and saw that. He'd been keeping this, I mean, he, he's keeping a record, if you like, of memorabilia of his life and his career, but he wasn't preserving them. They were sort of thrown into trunks and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it is extraordinary. One of the letters we saw was uh, he's writing back, um, uh, mum's writing back to her parents from Tahiti, where they're making mutiny on the bounty. And she says she's coming back home because she's six months pregnant with her second child, which is me. <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it is emotional. And I, the, the, we didn't realize what we wanted to do with it at first. We just wanted to sort of gather it together. And, uh, you know, when you lose somebody, it takes a while for the grieving process to go through what it has to go through. But after a couple of years, we just realized we needed to do something with this because my big fear was always that it's sitting in a lockup and, you know, the comedy piano hits me on the head and um, no one realizes where it is any longer. And it'll either get sold on one of those storage war programs or just thrown into a tip, you know. So Mm. 
we had to make a decision about where to put it, where to, where to, uh, to place it. And how did you decide on UCC, Jared? Well, honestly, they were, I mean, I, as soon as I spoke to Cronin and to Barry, they were just so, they, they got it immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, it wasn't the first place that, uh, that we reached out to. You know, Limerick's the sentimental choice and was the first choice. But, I mean, I, you know, that, and that, for whatever reason, didn't work out. And then we looked at the possibilities as universities in the United States that specialize in, it, specialize in housing, memorabilia of this kind. But they, wouldn't, they would only have been interested in the Hollywood material, you know. Mm-hmm. They would have been interested in the stuff relating to England and the early theatre career or Ireland or his family history. So um, it had to be, we wanted it to be placed in Ireland. And, and, you know, we tried, reached out to a bunch of different places and some of them never replied. But as soon as I spoke to Cronin and spoke to Barry, they were immediately enthusiastic. They were immediately excited. They immediately understood the importance of it and the value of it. And that goes a long way towards Mm. persuading you you found the right place. And that's, of course, for my listeners, Barry Monaghan of UCC's Department of Film and Screen Media and Cronin O'Dublin, who's their head of collections there at the library yeah. in UCC. As you mentioned earlier... It was, you know, it, 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 it wasn't an easy thing to figure out because there are a lot of complicated issues with regards to the collection. But they, you know, Cronin just said, don't worry about it, we'll sort everything out, we'll figure it, there's a way through this, we'll figure it out. Which is what you really want to hear, actually. Yeah, yeah. Now, listen, you said, you know, there were nice personal letters as well. I got, did you say there were some from him to his own parents, your dad's parents? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Absolutely. And would they have been just about when he first left Ireland? I mean, what would he writing home have been saying? Some of his asking for money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, please help me. Um, I mean, it was a tough time, a very tough time when he came over here. Um, uh, he, it was very difficult for him to find accommodations. It was difficult for him to find work and paying work. Um, so it was difficult. I mean, you know, obviously well known in his story that he, he often slept on park benches. Um, but the, the one particular letter that we saw that we released a copy of it was um, he's at the Comedy Theatre and he's rehearsing Arthur Miller's A View from a Bridge. Arthur Miller comes to rehearsals every day to watch rehearsals. And on one of these days, he's come to rehearsals with his wife, Marilyn Monroe. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And I gather he kept a lot of the letters from your own school, you and your brother's boarding school letters when you were really young. Yeah, yeah. It's quite embarrassing when you see these (laughs) letters you just realise just how shallow you were. You know, dear dad, please send me money. I need to buy more sweets. <laughs> <laughs> but you were probably uh, about yeah. eight. Yes, I was about eight years old. You know, you tell him that you scored a goal or something like that. Uh, maybe there's a little diagram of you booting the ball into the back of the net. Um, it, we had films, so they would tell him what movies he was seeing. And, and really just sort of saying, really looking forward to seeing you. And, and uh, I think at this point he had the house in the Bahamas. So um, we were planning our holidays. And did he speak about rugby in this collection? Because most people would know your dad was mad about rugby. That's incredible. I mean, that's, I think, it's going to be something very exciting for particularly the, you know, the monster um, rugby uh, aficionados. 
uh, and, and Limerick in specifically, he, he has these um, entries into his diaries of who he thinks should be in the first 15, <laughs> the rugby team representing Ireland. And of course, you know, he, he, um, he drew heavily upon the teams that are playing from the, uh, the Limerick clubs and the Munster clubs, you know. Mm. And I remember very clearly being at the Barclay Court Hotel and um, coming down there to the bar to go meet my dad. And he's giving this man an awful rollicking. And I find out it's the coach of the Irish team. <laughs> and he's telling, him, he's telling him off for picking all the wrong players. And saying that if you want to succeed, you want to win something, you've got to start picking some of the monster players. <laughs> Such a lovely story. And I gather, could he still fit into an old monster school rugby jersey that uh, he said? He- yeah, well, yes. We, we, well, that, you actually can see that on YouTube. That He's at the, um, the I think it's the Heineken Cup final, isn't it? Twickenham with Peter O'Toole and he's mm-hmm. wearing it. He's managed to squeeze into it, yes. I think he's very proud of it. And he asked to be, um, well, he was cremated and he wants to be cremated in that jersey. His poems and letters, they often muse, Jared, and, you know, I suppose how we all adopt masks, but how we become characters in our own life almost, don't they? Mm. Yes, well, that, that became a theme that he was exploring, largely centred around the production of the play the Pirandello play, Henry IV, mm. because that was very much something that Pirandello is exploring in that, the themes of that play. Um, and I think that one of the reasons why he, the, the roles that he really succeeded in are the roles, that's true for every actor and it's true for every creative person, are the ones that you connect to, whether consciously or subconsciously, um, you, you, they connect to you in a, a journey on a particular moment that you're going through in your life. And I think at that point he was really exploring, he'd sort of settled, he's comfortable with the idea that, that maybe um, that Richard Harris was to some extent a, um, a role that he was playing or that he played in his life. I and mean, there, there was some amount of, uh, of it being a crafted personality, if you like. Mm. And I, I know often I would hear him say that the greatest role that he ever played was Richard Harris. So interesting. And then didn't he say once, was it to you, Jared, or one of your brothers that don't try to psychoanalyze me? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Remind me of yeah. that. That was after we'd had a row and uh, he had turned around and said, I think we were, you know, I can't remember what it was about exactly, but we turned around and we were trying to figure out what he was upset about or what, what had sparked this whole thing off. And he said that, um, you know, don't try and psychoanalyze me, you, you, you know, you're not up to it. But he didn't, and it's the thing about him is that, you know, on one level, of course, we all want to be known and understood. But on another level, he didn't want to be because he would confound you the second you sort of, it felt like you were maybe uh, getting close to the mystery. He would turn left and, um, and confuse you. Which is so interesting. I mean, I... So recently as well, I think just a few weeks ago, you tweeted about the American premiere of the documentary The Ghost of Richard Harris. We won't have seen that here yet. I think it was the Newport Beach Film Festival. There's a lot of family yeah. archive in it, Super 8 yeah, video recordings. Yeah. yeah, well, the film was premiered at the Venice Film Festival. Um, and uh, then it, it uh, was at the Newport Beach Film Festival. 
It's playing at a documentary film festival here in London. Uh, this week and next week, it's a selected screening. It's going to be at the Cork Film Festival, the Richard Harris Film Festival, the, new, uh, the Fort Lauderdale Film Festival, um, and then it's going to be released uh, later in the year. And are you happy with it, um, Jared, the documentary? Yeah, I mean, I've, what I like about what Adrian Sibley, the director, has done is he hasn't tried to sort of, he hasn't tried to take you through a chronology of somebody's life. He's born on a Thursday, went to school on a Friday, you know, stubbed his toe on a Saturday. It, it, it's much more to do with trying to get at who this person was. You know, who, who, in fact, the question very early in the story is asked is, who was Richard Harris? Who was he? And partly that's to do with the fact that one cannot assume that people know who that person was now, because it's been 20 years. But, um, but also because there is that aspect of it in being, to some extent, an invented personality. You said, I think, you and your brother said at the launch of the documentary about your dad that, you know, as a man, he had resisted being discovered, jealously guarding his mystery, delighting in his ultimate creation, the character Richard Harris. So what do you think the star of, you know, this sporting life? I mean, what do you think your dad would make of the documentary? Well, I mean, you know, I'm sure that I just knowing how those sort of things would have gone in his life, there'd be something that would have... Um, uh, uh, probably pissed him off, or you know, <laughs> momentarily. Do you know what I mean? But ultimately, I think he'd be thrilled with it because it 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 doesn't. You get a really good idea of who he was, but there's also a sort of feeling like there was a lot more still about him that one could discover, and I think that that would please him. Frank, hey, Frank. Hi, Dad. What are you doing down here then? Did you sign? Had they signed your arm? They wouldn't have me, Dad. They wouldn't have me. You ought to have seen them. Around that weaver like a, a pack of dogs around a pitch. I told them what to do with the stinking, filthy bastard money. You haven't done that. I. You're not crying about it, are you? You're not crying. So it was all for nothing, eh? Hey, Dad, I was only kidding you about it. I was only kidding. How much do you think it is? You tell me, Frank. You tell me. A thousand quid. Nay. Aye. Do you want to see the cheque? Aye, could I see it? You and me, Frank. That's us. How much of it do you want, Dad? Oh, no, Frank. What do you mean, oh no, Frank? Oh no, Frank. Now, Dad, I... listen. I don't enjoy getting kicked about in a football field for other people's amusement. I only enjoy it if I've been paid a lot for it. Now, I want you to share some of this. No, Frank, I don't want any of it. Oh, Dad! I'll send you some of it! By the way, yeah. by the way, he speaks in his own words because um, one of the, the absolute important resources that came about that we were able to access is that there's this journalist called Joe Jackson. Great journalist. Formed, yes, indeed. And he formed a, a fairly, um, a pretty unique relationship with my father in the last sort of 13 or 14 years of his life. 
uh, he earned my father's trust. And over a, a course of this period of time, over a series of interviews, he spoke in great depth with my father. And I, I, I think probably what happened, the way that Joe did it was, see, Joe, Joe took my father's poetry seriously mm. and, um, and discussed uh, my father's poetry with dad, analyzing it as literature um, and, um, and, as, and almost as biography as well, which of course it is. And dad spoke to Joe in a, in a, in a very frank terms. Um, and, um, and Joe, we, we made a deal with Joe and Joe allowed us to use a, a selected portion of this um, audio archive that Joe Jackson had. We, have, we, we use a very small part of it. I think it's maybe like 20 minutes and there's many, many, many hours of it. So, so well, what that meant was is that my father could speak in his own voice throughout the piece. Which is invaluable, really. So is it in that when he's talking about life, Jared, he says, you know, he's giving out life a bit, but then he says, make the most of it. Don't get distracted by things. Live your life. Don't pass the time. Live the time. Don't waste it. Yes, that's exactly true. That, that's him being quoted directly, yeah. And he also says something as well about how um, we, should make, um, we should make a deal with our demons, you know, rather than exercising them, we should use them because they're unique to us, to individuals, and they, they're sources of, um, of creativity. In your own life now as an actor, do you look back on him as an actor? Do you end up invariably comparing yourself to him? Did you ever do that or not? Well, I mean, uh, uh, I reference him all the time in my personal life and obviously professionally in a way and because of uh, what he achieved. Um, and, um, and as a parent, you know, you're... Mm. I mean, the, the interesting thing about when when your parent passes um you're much further away if if they pass at a you know my dad was 72 when he passed away and i was in my early 40s um but i'm much closer now to where he was in age when he passed away than i i don't have a lot of memories of him as being a 30 year old man or a 40 year old man so he's actually becomes more accessible and relevant the older I get because those are my fresher memories and more immediate memories and experiences of him. And I know you worked with him. Did, you did Hamlet with your dad once, is that right? Yeah, he, um, we filmed him as the ghost. So he was projected each night. Mm. But obviously when we filmed it, then I worked with him when we filmed it. And I think you said he changed all the time or something you watched him and you could change uh, well, well because you would you know you have to inter still interact with even if it's a projection one has to interact with it still and mm. i would just notice every night the detail of his choices you know um once you as the run goes on and you settle into the role and the sort of the panic of being able to deliver the entirety of the performance is gone and you're able to sort of live in each moment more specifically, I could see more clearly the, 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 the moment to moment and the detail of his performance and the choices that he made. And it, I was always discovering something new in what he'd done. 
He loved Joyce. He loved Heaney, didn't he? I mean, he devoured literature. Uh, Beckett, Joyce, um, Dylan Thomas, Seamus Heaney, yeah. I mean, loved poetry, yeah. And I think when you went to the Bahamas, you'd find all of these Irish writers and poets, all those books were in his house in the Bahamas. Actually, it was in, he had a, a wonderful first edition collection in his hotel suite at the Savoy. Yeah, mm. I mean, a, you know, a significant collection of Beckett and Joyce's work, yeah. I mean, the, the Beckett first editions are in French, they're in the original French, because he wrote in French, didn't he? Let's listen now, Jared, to your dad in the field. I only wilted that green grass, that lovely green grass, and you want to take it away from me, and in the sight of God, I can't let you do that. Can't you find another field? Another field? Another field? Jesus, you're as far in here as that yank. Another field? Are you blind? Those hands, do you see those hands? Those rocks? It was a dead thing? Don't you understand? This is the widow's field. That's the law. The common law. There's another law. Stronger than the common law. What's that? The law of the land. I know yeah. the Hunt Museum in Limerick. Tell me about what's going to happen there now with this collection. Mm. So it was really important to the family and it was also very important to... Um, Barry and Cronin and Cork University, that the very first exhibition of the archive, it had to be in Limerick. And um, we were luckily have been able to um, collaborate with the Hunt Museum. So the very first exhibition of this archive, which it won't be for a couple of years because it's got to be archived and logged and everything first, but it's going to be at the Hunt Museum. It's going to be in Limerick, his hometown. So the people of Limerick are going to be the first people are going to be able to get to see it. And we hope that they'll, you know, we hope that they'll be excited by it and come and, and come see it. Well, just before I let you go, just on this show last week, Jared, I interviewed Bill Whelan. He's a famous composer here. He wrote Riverdance, mm. but he's from Limerick. Mm. And he just mm. mentioned your dad in passing and how important he was to young people like him in Limerick as he gave mm. Bill a break. And I, I think a lot of Limerick feels like that about your dad. I mean, I think it's, he's a, I suppose, an example, an object lesson that you, if you have a dream, you can, you know, you can follow it through and you can make it, you can make it materialize, you know? Um, I mean, the, the odds of somebody from, the, even though the background he came from was not an underprivileged background, you know, he, he, he his family was a well-off middle-class, uh, family, um, it's still a huge step to imagine that somebody from that background with you know, very limited access to the career that he wanted could actually make it, get mm. as far as he did, make it in London and then make it in Hollywood um, and become an, you know, an inter a genuine film star. That's a huge, huge, huge leap. And he'd also had TB, of course. Yes, he did. Yeah. Which put an end to his... I mean, his initial, uh, his initial ambition was to be a rugby player, to play for Ireland. Mm. And 
Um, he, he, I think he certainly felt that that wasn't uh, within the realm of impossibility. He, you know, he was a he was a, a good enough rugby player and was a, and made a good enough impact that that could be a possibility. But then he caught TB, and um, the uh, the cure for that was bed rest, which for him took I think up to two years. So mm. that the physique that he had that allowed him to be successful on the rugby pitch slowly, you know, wasted away. Um, and, and that dream died. Which <laughs> really, when he started to educate himself, he started to read because um, he squandered his education prior to that. Well, very final question, Jared. There's loads of beautiful yeah. photographs in the collection. There's the great one mm-hmm. on, of him on a bicycle. It was on the cover oh, of Time yeah. magazine, wearing the yeah. crown from Camelot. Tell what's yeah. the story about that Camelot crown again? Well, I. I um, I tweeted about that on his birthday. Yes, I think um, the uh, the studio uh, wanted to know where the crown had gone, and he said he had no idea that he didn't have it. And then about three weeks later, he appeared on the cover of Life magazine wearing it. <laughs> Great story. Well, look, Jared Harris. Um, well done to you and your family for donating. Thank you. All of that to UCC, and thank you so much for speaking to us this morning. And keep up your own great success in acting. Thank you so much. Mind Thank yourself. you very much. Take care. Bye bye. God bless you. Bye bye.